Very, very cool. Uh, you're going to hear a little bit about why this is important for us as a church this morning uh, as we talk a little bit about mission and vision. Uh, it's always exciting whether we're uh, going to, uh, downtown Boulder or downtown Denver or to Juarez or Africa or Vietnam that uh, we're constantly trying to figure out what's our next step, what, what is God calling us to do. And so... Um, we are privileged and honored to have you folks uh, here uh, so that we can commission you. Uh, let's pray together, and then we're going to jump into the Word of God and wrestle a little bit. Let's pray. So God, it's our prayer every morning that when we come into your presence that we hear from you. It's our prayer that you would speak to each and every one of us. It's our prayer that you would uh, convict uh, and discipline and encourage and love uh, each and every one of us in the way that we need uh, in the moment. So thank you. Thank you for this carved out time. Thank you for um, your word that withstands the test of time. Thank you for the hope and the direction that it gives us. Uh, thank you that it makes things a whole lot easier sometimes, and it also makes things a whole lot more heavy. Uh, and so we embrace both of those aspects. Uh, thank you for the hope that is found in Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. Well, I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles to Matthew 28, uh, starting at verse 19. Uh, this morning, we're going to be talking a little bit about the direction of discipleship for our church. We're kicking off a new series starting next week, and so this is a little bit of a primer for you. Uh, before we get into that, I want to continue to encourage you uh, that if this is your church home, if Rock Creek Church is your home, that you would please bring the written form of the Bible. Bible. Um, I, I know tablets and phones and iPads, that's great, um, but there is a, a spiritual discipline to having the pages, marking up your Bible, highlighting it, rather than just sitting back and observing it. It's a difference between being a spectator on a Sunday in the seats and a participator. And so we want to encourage you to keep bringing your Bibles. If you don't own one and you can't get your hands on one, you could do two things or you could do both. You could take one of the Bibles in our seats, just take that home. That could be your Bible. Bible, and if you don't know where to get one, we'll either help you find that or we'll buy it for you. But we want to make sure you have Bibles uh, in your hands. And so we're looking this morning, uh, first of all, at Matthew chapter 28, starting at verse 19. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. It says this, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so I just want to again want to welcome you this morning. This is a, a pivotal verse, not only in Christendom, but, but for our church specifically. Um, if you've kind of waltzed in here uh, casually and it's your first Sunday, you picked a great one uh, to be at because we're going to give you the heartbeat of our church. If you're watching online, we're glad that you are. Please follow along with us in the, in the scriptures. Hopefully you'll be able to see some of the things on screen. If we look at this slide, we are the church. You can see people doing all kinds of things. Not that one. Uh, you can see uh, balloons and bicycle and walking the dog and baby carriage and calisthenics and stretching a kid's arms apart. Like all these different things that are on this screen, right? We are the church and we do a lot of different things. In fact, if you were to spend your lifetime going from church to church to church, some of those things would look similar and some of those things would look radically different. We are the church. And so what we're doing is looking at what is Rock Creek Church, what is our mission? What is our vision? What are we supposed to be doing? What are we committed to? And what does that look like going in to this next year? And so that's exactly what we're doing. We do have a mission statement. Some of you have heard this several times. We exist to equip every person to take the next step in becoming a more fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. That's why we exist. That's, that's why we have a building. That's why we had an incredible cleanup day yesterday. For those of you who came and sweated through that and helped kids, adults, etc. hopefully the rest of you see the beauty of, of all the labor of the folks that came here yesterday. By the way, if you didn't come yesterday, one way that you can 
can help today. We have about 12 bags of weeds on the east side of the building. You can just grab one of those and put it in your trash this week, no kidding aside, because we have like two trash cans and we can't fit it all. That's a little side note. It has nothing to do with the sermon. Okay, now, this idea of equipping you to take the next step involves something significant, and it's something that's kind of hard to grasp, and that is it involves deeply your soul. Your soul. Uh, Maybe you've been around the church for a while, or you've been around just enough to hear the word soul. Raise your hand if if you've heard from a Christian or spiritual context the idea of a soul. Okay, now raise your hand if you would be able to perfectly articulate what a soul is. Yeah, it's it's hard. It's like this thing where it's like, hmm, I... I can say it, I can even somewhat describe it, but I don't even know how to perfectly define it. What's a soul? First of all, let's describe what it's not. It's not this immaterial, wispy fog that when your dead corpse is laying on the slab that it just kind of like rises from you. You guys remember that Disney cartoon with Daffy Duck? And Daffy Duck dies and all of a sudden like this like fog-like Daffy Duck rises. It's not that, okay? Maybe you're going, oh my gosh, like you just blew my mind. Everything I've ever believed in is gone. All right, or hopefully we'll set you in the right direction right now. It's not a wispy fog. It's not a mist that rises as if you're uh, at a graveyard uh, in a dark, uh, kind of a damp night and there's this moisture in the air. That's not your soul. So we're going to look at this. The soul, according to philosopher and theologian Dallas Willard, spent a, a long time researching the idea of a soul. And here's what he came up with. He said, the soul is the capacity to integrate Separate or different functions into a singular organism or creature. Now, some of you are like, well, you've already lost me. When, when's the Rockies game? I, I'm going to beg you to stay with me because I promise this is going to make sense in the end. If not, Grant will buy you lunch, okay? So this is going to make somewhat of sense. Let's read this again. The capacity to integrate separate or different functions into a singular organism or creature. That's soul. Uh, Philosophers would would use uh, sentient beings to describe that same thing. Some of you have heard that phrase, that sentient beings, and that is that we have matter, we have sensations, we have perceptions, we have mental formations, and we have a consciousness. That's what creates us to have this soul. And so that's what we're looking at this morning. These thinkers that have spent way more time than I, or probably you, digesting, wrestling with, trying to unpack this idea of souls, this, these thinkers would say that the capacity and the end result to integrate these different functions into one life is soul. It's, it's uh, suke is the Greek word, suke. We get uh, psyche from that. It's, it's the idea of, of what's binding together. The, the Hebrew reference was kind of an immortal soul, an immortal binding. Even Augustine and Aquinas even understood soul as the capacity to integrate into one single life. It's the binding that holds us together. You say, okay, well, that's great. Uh, that's a bunch of like psychology and sociology and theology kind of rolled up in one. But what difference does this make to us becoming a devoted follower of Jesus? Great question. We're going to get to that in a second. But first, let's look at another aspect because that soul, that, that, that binding, uh, is also binding something that's important, and that's called your human body. And so the question is, what's a human? And so we're looking at that as well. A human being, very simply stated, is a will with a mind in a body. Now, some of you will go, I take exception to that. A human is much more than that. Yes, I agree, but I only got 30 minutes. Okay, so a human, very simply, don't send me emails, simply, simply, it's more than this, but it's it's a will, it's a mind in a body. That's a human. Will is the core of who you are. 
Will is the core, the essence of who you are as a person. It's what makes you unique. It's what makes you uh, have the freedom to make choices. It's what allows you to say things or not say things. It's, it's what allows you to create something out of nothingness, this will, and to be morally accountable, which no other creature on earth has. No other creature on this earth has moral accountability but you. No bird, no dog. Some of you think your dog is like your lifelong best friend. Your dog has no moral accountability. It will pee on your carpet and not feel bad about it, right? Right? <laughs> It will run away and not worry that you're worried. Like, it just doesn't have it. You do. You have a moral compass. Now, some of you would say, well, our moral compass in this world is clouded, and I would agree with you. But as creatures, as human beings, that's what makes us unique, is we have the ability to make, we have the ability to decide, and we have a moral compass. That's what makes us humans. And all of that... The flow of our mind, the thoughts and feelings that basically is our life, all of that is housed together by the soul, and it's mostly run by habits. Think about your life. Think about what a habit is, even. This is what gives meaning to why the psalmist says what would be often referred to as this exterior thing called the soul. As another person, we read that the psalmist says, bless the Lord, O my bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Why are you downcast, O my soul? We can read over and over and over in scriptures is the soul is described as something so incredibly unique that the Bible doesn't use any other form of the members of our body to describe it in that way. It doesn't speak of the hands or the mind in a way that it speaks of the soul. But the writers of the scripture spoke about it. That which binds the person to everything who they are. It's, it's a glue. It's, it, it's like the binding of a book. Uh, Josiah, come up here. Uh, some of these ideas are great and some of them are awful, but nevertheless. So Josiah is, Josiah, <laughs> uh, Star Wars shirt, short sandals. He sings, sing of something, don't. Uh, he sings, he acts, he's a son. He's like a bunch of different things. He makes decisions, some good, some Fantastic. Okay, some fantastic. Yeah, so he makes choices. He creates. Uh, I, when we first moved here, uh, what was that thing that you would walk uh, with your phone out and you were trying to find hidden creatures in the land? Pokemon Go. So I, I, when we first moved here, I would see Josiah wandering superior <laughs> on the streets all by himself with his phone trying to find uh, imaginary Pokemons. But anyways, that's the side note. Josiah is Josiah. The soul holds him together. It binds him. Whether he likes it or not, this is his soul. So, hi. hi. Okay, so this is his soul. Now, sometimes what the soul feels is like this. Super more uncomfortable, right? This is a little bit more uncomfortable, but sometimes, good. Sometimes we hear people saying the lost soul. We don't like the soul. We don't like the binding that's around us that holds us together with who we are. But the Bible makes it so unbelievably clear that the soul is being fought for. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me. And this is important because it's the soul that binds a person to make a decision for God. And that decision is either for him or it's against him. We tiptoed in a little bit of these waters last week. And I know for some of you in this room, you hated that sermon. But the reality is the Bible describes we, we can't serve two masters. In other words, you can't have a dual soul. 
You either have a soul that's holding you together with all of who you are towards God, or you have a soul that's holding you together that's in, in uh, an, an enemy relationship to God. And now this is important because the soul in relationship with God is what assimilates us with God, and sin is the entity that separates us from God. The, the soul is what holds us together and then says, I'm going to hold you together with God. And sin separates that. Sin disintegrates that to where it becomes super difficult to be in God's presence. That's why you will hear Jesus, again, speak of lost souls and other places in the Bible because sin divides. You know this. This is not news to you. Sin makes us do what we don't want to do. Sin keeps us from the things we want to do. Sin is what makes us say things that really should be kept inside. Sin is what allows the thoughts to roll around in our mind, which we should, the scriptures say, take captive and, and defeat because we know that they're not appropriate. And at the same time that we're doing all of that, love God, worship God, study God, show kindness, but if sin is left unchecked, the appetite of our souls will enslave our wills. And that's what happens. So for us, as Rock Creek Church, our mission as a church is to equip you to train and equip your soul to take the next step in becoming a more fully devoted follower of Jesus. We're not here to train your body. We're not here to help your mind. We're here to help your soul take that next step. Why? Because the soul is the binding of all of who you are. Now, in the first century for a few meant that they just quit fishing and follow this guy around, Jesus, and they begin to speak like him and act like him and look like him and respond like him. When, when, when trouble would arise, they would respond the way Jesus would. Why? Because they're following him. They're, they're in training, if you would. And when they did that, their mind changed, their body changed, their words changed. That's life with Jesus on earth. But what about today? How do we join God at work in what he's doing with our souls? That would be a voicemail. When, when Jesus was around, the decision was quite clear. Uh, I'm going to stop collecting taxes. I'm going to stop being a farmer. I'm going to just start following this man, Jesus. Wherever he goes, I'm going to go with him. And then Jesus is crucified. He is raised from the dead. He ascends to the Father. And, and then Acts chapter 2 happens in this new community uh, takes place. And people are given a very definitive decision. Do I want to join that community or not? It was a clear decision on what you're going to do with your soul. And then that community gets larger and larger and larger. And over the next handful of centuries, that, commu that community hit capacity around the time of Constantine. And, and roughly half of the empire is a part of that community, and which on one hand is super great. And on the other hand, exactly the thing they didn't want to happen happened. It became diluted. What does it mean to join? Well, you just got to show up at the potluck. Peter's throwing a potluck next Saturday. It's going to be crazy. Just come. You can be part of the community. All right, well, what do I need to bring? Nothing. If you want to bring some fish, great. I'm part of the community. That's eventually what happened to the Acts 2 community. It became diluted. It became watered down just enough where the transforming power was minimalized or not evident. And it became a basic choice. A prayer, if you would. Sound familiar? 
pray the prayer, you'll get in. And, and as a church, especially the church in America, we have bought into that. We have bought in that it, it went from this absolute devotion to walking hand in hand with Jesus to this community that would share everything with one another so that no one was in need and they would sing hymns and pray and get together and then slowly it becomes a potluck and then eventually it becomes a prayer and you're in. And we wonder why the church has been weakened. As a church, the leadership of this church, of Rock Creek Church, the elders, the pastors, the lead team, we are concerned and have been tasked with the growth and the maturity and the protection of your souls. You students, our job is not to make you obedient, although we would love that. <laughs> our job, our, our mission, not just to you, but all the adults in this room, is to shape and protect and mature your souls, your binding. You ever have a book where the binding is just super cheap? Like it falls and the whole thing falls apart? A lot of our Bibles have that. <laughs> Do not take that as the word of God is weak. The binding is weak, right? Or there's other books where you drop or kick or it falls down. Uh, you know, you get your books knocked out of your hand in, this, in school and they go flying down and they hold together. That's good binding. Our goal is to make good binding of your soul so that when you get kicked around in college and you kicked around in life, when you get kicked around at work or a divorce happens or a death happens or you have questions scientifically or any area of apologetics that your binding can hold and it can stay strong. Amen. And so what, that's our focus is to do that, not to make sure you do a bunch of things or make a choice. It's the habit of the soul. And for us as a church, we have made a strong commitment, not because we're smart. Let me just say that. This is not because the elders are super smart, which they are. Not because the staff is super smart, which they are. It's because God has absolutely demanded a few things for us in this next season of Rock Creek Church. And I want to explain those to you. Number one, biblical literacy. It, God has made it so clear as I am here today with you that definitively we as a church are going to know our Bibles. We're going to know the story of God. We are going to know exactly what it says and why it says it and allow that to dictate us. From that, we are going to put faith into action, which this church from the, from the first day that it started in the Shevlin's home, Till today is we're going to put faith into action. Mission trips, outreach events, downtown Boulder praying for people, packs of hope with some, some of you did this yesterday, Juarez, Africa, Vietnam, your neighbor. We are going to put faith into action as a result of knowing the scriptures. And then finally, making disciples. Our job is, is to make disciples. That's, we started that in Matthew chapter 28. Go and make disciples. That's our job. If we are not making disciples as a church, and I'll go as far as to say this personally for you, if you claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ and you are not making disciples, you are missing a fundamental aspect of what it means to walk with Jesus. And that's not accusatory. That means I long for you to experience that. I long for you to experience sitting with someone and helping them understand what this life looks like to follow Jesus. You say, well, I've got too many questions myself. Great, so do I. Well, I have doubts. Great, so do I. I'm busy. I'm not. <laughs> like, you, you're busy. Awesome. So is everyone else. But nowhere in Scripture to say, go and make disciples if you got the time. Study the scriptures if things aren't crazy at home. Get over yourself. I am so tired of hearing I'm busy. 
I'm so tired of hearing life's crazy. It's never not going to be until you're dead. Some of you old timers, you should be shouting amen. It's just busy. <laughs> and it's hard. People in their 40s are like, oh man, when I get to my 60s, life will be so much easier. Really? Because I can parade a bunch of people up here in their 60s that'll go, that's a lie. <laughs> I hear teenagers, oh man, life's just so busy. Chase thought life was busy. They got married and he has a kid now. How's life, Chase? Easy. Yeah, it's super easy. Life's just piece of cake, man. Just rosy like a parade. We're just not going to do that, you guys. We do that in love. Please know I say that in love, but we're just not going to do that. Busy's not an excuse. Are there seasons? Obviously, there are seasons. But for some of you, your seasons have been years. Enough. Get off the bench. Get in the game. We need you as a church. The Pope is out there. He told me he is scared to death because you don't have Sunday school teachers for these little kids. We desperately need you. We have a base camp ministry that's going to be pouring into these kids. You'll hear about this in a second. We need you. Do you see the pictures of those kids in Rwanda and Uganda? They need you. We, we're going down to serve this church in Juarez. That church needs us. They're in tears because they've been praying every day for workers to come and do some work projects for them. And we show up and guess what? We are an answer to prayer. You ever been told that you're an answer to prayer? That's super humbling. But you are. Thrive. Thrive's getting ready to kick off. And our, and our focus on Thrive is discipleship. It's so that these kids know their Bibles. So two nights out of the week, they're going to be in a home doing a Thrive Life group. They're going to be doing some fun stuff. Every, the first Wednesday of every month, they're going to go serve. The first Wednesday, they're not going to do a youth group where they, you know, throw a pie in Alex's face in the games, blah, blah, blah. That's great. But the first Wednesday of the month, they're going to go serve. They're going to put it into action. Miranda's setting up all these initiatives. Base camp ministry is focusing on the gospel project. We've spent a lot of money. We've redesigned the entire curriculum because what we're going to do is from birth all the way through sixth grade, Starting next week is they will be learning the same exact lesson every single week in the learning style of their particular age. And so when you get in the car, you're going to go, hey, what did you learn? And you're not going to hear, oh, I learned about, you know, Lazarus and I learned about this disease and I learned about the end times and I learned about creation. Like you're going to learn the same thing. Why? Because we want our kids to know their Bible. We want our kids to know the story and then respond out of that. Our life groups are getting ready to launch. Our life groups are adding a, a, a different element this, this year where we're going to have a discipleship moment. So the first like 10 minutes is going to be looking at a discipleship practice, a, a discipleship habit of how are we doing with that? Because it's great to get together and share prayer requests. It's great to get together and made a, a read a few verses and, and just a little soapbox issue on the prayer request. How many of you get tired of prayer requests about like my dog's not feeling well and you know, uh, my, my car's acting up and those aren't prayer requests. Those are asks. The depth of, of us has to go deeper. Because the last thing you want to do is look at yourself in the mirror a year from now and go, yeah, I'm essentially in the same place as I was. God, please keep us from that. And so we want to help you get there. The missions and the outreach initiatives. Beth and Mark and Miranda formulating this incredible plan of how you can put your faith into practice. Miranda, I've been in constant conversation with the Boulder Pregnancy Resource Center. 
They have, they have a, a very young couple right now who are pregnant that have come in. They got the 4D ultrasound. They saw their baby, but they are very strongly considering abortion because it's not a right time. And we have said, we want to help. We want to be involved. How can we be involved in this? And we've said, we'll mow your lawn. We'll clean your windows. We'll clean equipment. We'll, we'll advertise. How can we get in the game? Denver Rescue Mission. Boulder with the Homeless. Lamb's Lunch. Juarez. We have three trips coming up this year down to Juarez. One of them is going to be a work trip simultaneous with the Thrive Spring Break trip that our plans to do work there is audacious. Like, it is silly that we would even think we could do this. But God, sound familiar from Ephesians 2, but God, rich in mercy, and because of his love, is opening doors. And he's making it possible. We have countless trips through Olive Branch and through Hope's Promise. Hope's Promise has a fundraiser coming up next Sunday. Yeah, you should come. Peace out, Miranda says. Anytime Miranda's nephew comes, she's like, Miranda! So we'll just do that. Miranda! So uh, fundraiser at the Chevelins. You can pull up the app and RSVP for that. They're going to Vietnam, this, this crew. We want to help you put your faith into action. And it starts with knowing the Bible, biblical literacy. And I want you to listen to what this says. Biblical literacy is knowing and understanding the Bible well enough that is the redemptive story of God and the hope that he has promised to those who believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ to live it out and to use it in life. So that you know your Bible so well that you live it out and use it in everyday life. And if we are not doing that, if the leadership of the church, if we are not doing that for you, we are failing you as your leaders. And so we've thrown a humongous stake in the ground. And why is that important? Because you need something to rely on. You need something that is your strength. And here's a sobering question that I want each of you to answer. If you are not relying on being guided by, sustained by the word of God each day, what are you depending on? If you are not being strengthened, supported, sustained by the word of God every day, what is doing that for you? Money, porn, success, your job, dishes, laundry. What is your strength? We have to change that curve if we are going to be fully devoted followers of Jesus, if we're going to take that next step. And we, as a church, are committed to helping you take that next step in your habit. I thought about habits for a long time this week. I thought all about my good habits in life. I thought about my bad habits in life. I thought about the choices that we make. I thought about what this means for discipleship in terms of the church. You see, often we think, uh, as far as church and relationship with Jesus, that well, I got to form a dis I got to form a habit of doing a Bible study every week. Oh, I got to I got to form a habit of praying every day. I got to form a habit of reading my Bible every day, or 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 doing a spiritual discipline. And those very well might be good. But what I want us to do is take a step back before we talk about habits, or before we talk about the actions. The vast majority of our life are habits. We, we are pre-programmed. We, we live life. We Chase has a baby. That, that baby grows. All of a sudden, she develops habits. And eventually, she becomes a teenager. She becomes an adult. When she becomes an adult, all of a sudden, some habits have been formed. That's what life is. Most of your life, if you don't know this already, is habits. Think about when you first learned to drive or ride a bike. The thought of you getting on a bike right now for some of you is super scary because you've lost all the little habits. And you might go, well, pff, piece of cake, I could get back on a bike. Well, if I had a bike here and put you on it, we might think otherwise of you. 
Because when you first learn a bike, to ride a bike, or you first learn to drive, your attention is on everything, every single detail, your balance, where you put your feet, where you're looking, how you hold the bike, how you turn. Same thing with driving. Some of you need to go back to driver's ed. Because you don't do the little things anymore. You just go on to habit. You get in the car, you go. If you don't believe me, go set up a lawn chair. You know some of these like traffic counters? The worst job in the world, sit in your car and count how many cars drive by you. But go sit by them and watch people drive. People suck at driving. That's like when my most sin comes out if I get in the car and, and I watch people. I can't, I can't stand drivers. Why? Because we stop doing the little things. We stop being attentive to those things. We just, we're habit now. And, and just because we have a habit doesn't mean it's a good habit. You guys with me? Some of you know this. It's like nine o'clock at night. You're like, feeling a little hungry. Like that's your habit. That's not a good habit. Mark, sorry. <laughs> now this is good on one hand because as adults, we can't possibly think about every decision we make in life. You'd go crazy. You'd be in an institution. You can't think, oh, I'm putting on my shoe now. Think about it. Putting on my shoe. I'm tying. Putting on this. I'm going to work now. I'm going to think about that. You can't live your life thinking about everything. It's not humanly possible, which is why experts say that this is God's provision. God pre-wired you as a human to form habits because otherwise you'd explode. You'd have a malfunction a meltdown. Your computer would overheat. So the body naturally assigns habits so that you don't have to think about them. So you can think about the more important things. Are you with me? That's a whole nother discussion, but it's, it's super important for us this morning. So yes, habits are a good thing, but then sin enters our habits. And the apostle Paul says that Sin gets into our members, bless you, members of our body that make up our soul. Remember, the soul is that binding. And so sin gets into the members of our body. It gets into our minds, our hands, our perceptions, our sexuality, our morals, our ethics, our worldviews. Sin permeates and, and then takes root in that. Habits. For most of us, the level of transformation in us as it pertains to Jesus is going to start with habits, not willpower. We're going to talk about this for just a moment. You guys know what willpower is, right? Not will, power. But willpower, you know what willpower is? It comes around around January 1st every year. <laughs> or when you go to confession, you go before God and you're like, oh, I will never, if you get me out of this, I will never do that again. Anybody ever prayed that prayer? Ethan, your hand better go up. <laughs> willpower. John Orberg says this about willpower. He said, habits eat willpower for breakfast. <laughs> you don't have the willpower, friends. It's why when, when a parent says, oh man, all right, this year, I am going to be so patient with my kids. <laughs> and that lasts 20 minutes. <laughs> or you go, I... I'm going to be at the gym five days a week starting now. Seth, one of my twins, started cross country. Now, keep in mind, Seth hasn't moved much in his body all summer. And on Thursday, he started cross country. He ran on Thursday. Well, really, he said he walked. So it was kind of walk country. And, and he did somewhat fine. On Friday, I pick him up and he goes, I ran the whole time. Well, yesterday, he can't move like right here, right? <laughs> You guys done that where you go, man, I'm going to the gym and you go right to the bench press. Like, I'm going to nail out like 80 reps here. And then you can't lift your arms above the head. You go, well, I'm not worshiping God because I can't. Like, 
<laughs> you have no idea what I'm feeling right now. It might not be sin, but it's pain. I love you, Lord. Like it just stays down here, right? Some of you remember being sore. Habits, eat willpower for breakfast. The issue isn't be more joyful. The issue isn't be more patient. The issue isn't work out more or say no to this or do this or do that. Our job is not to make you do things or even make a choice. Our job as a leadership of this church, as pastors, is to help you develop and strengthen your soul, your binding of who you are. Seth is becoming a runner. He is not a runner right now. His soul is becoming a runner. You might say, I am not a patient person. No problem. God can help your soul become a patient person. The binding of the essence of who you are. Real quickly, I want to read two scripture passages to, with you. Second uh, Peter uh, chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. You can just listen to this one. This is what it says. In view of this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith. That means add to it. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence. And moral excellence with knowledge. And knowledge with self-control. And self-control with patient endurance. And patient endurance with godliness and godliness with brotherly and sisterly affection and brotherly and sisterly affection with love for everyone. Verse eight, the more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then look with me, it'll be on the screen as well. First Corinthians chapter nine, verse 25, it says this. All athletes are disciplined in their what? All, all, all athletes are disciplined in their? Training. Come on, participate. All athletes are disciplined in their? Training. Let's do that the first time. We'll just move on, all right? They're disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. In other words, we train for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. I train. We have to train. Why? Because our will is terrible at overriding bad attitudes and bad decisions. We're, we are awful at it. 1 Corinthians 9 says the distinction there is there's a tremendous difference between trying to do something and training to do something. If you're here and you say, hey, I do yoga aerobics every Monday. Do you want to go with me tomorrow? It's two hours long. I can try to go with you, but there needs to be medical personnel on hand because I could die. Now, I could train to lead up to that, but I can't just go try and do that with you. Some of you are runners. have no idea why, but you are runners. You go, hey, would you, you want to go for a run with me tomorrow? I could try and run with you, or I could train leading up to go run with you. You say, hey, would you sit down and do 100 sit-ups? Man, I could give it my best try but I will fail. I can promise you I would fail. But I could train up to that. You think about those who, who practice beautiful music with, with one of these instruments. They don't just walk up here. Alex and the team doesn't just walk here, grab an instrument, and just start doing it. They train. You ever try to juggle? How many of you are awful at juggling? Raise your hand. Most of you should raise your hand right now, you sinners. Most of you stink at juggling. You could learn. You could train. Singing might be a different story. Some of you, no matter how much you train, you're not going to be able to sing. 
Here's what training means. Train, to train means I arrange my life around those practices to which I receive the energy and the power to do what I could not do with willpower alone. Some of you need to take a picture of this and remind yourself of this every single morning. Uh, regardless of what area of life, but specifically with developing a heart for God. To train means I arrange my life around those practices, those spiritual disciplines, if you would, to which I receive the energy and the power to do what I could not do by willpower alone. That's why you go, well, I'm going to read the Bible cover to cover this year. Good luck getting through numbers. I'm in numbers right now. It's a tough ride. That's why Jesus says in Luke chapter 6, verse 40, students are not greater than their teacher, but the student who is fully trained will become like the teacher. Or when Paul writes in 1 Timothy 4, 7, train yourself to be godly. Friends, Please never once hear us say, if you walk through these doors, we expect you to be godly. This is training ground. This is practice. This is where you get sore muscles. This is where you hear some things that annoy you and frustrate you and that you don't agree with. Great, when was the last time you loved every word that came from your coach's mouth? Never. But you know it's good. You, you know you're being pushed and strengthened and sharpened. We have to practice. For those of you who don't know, the, the Bears, my, my beloved Chicago Bears last year had a horrendous kicker. Now, the kicker has one job. <laughs> not punter, not the kickoff guy. The field goal kicker has one job. He doesn't have to block anybody. He doesn't have to run with the ball. He doesn't have to worry about like a touchdown celebration ahead of time. He has one job, keep a spot on the bench warm and then go kick a field goal. That's his whole life. And ours was brutal last year. So this year, they brought in two new kickers. And where other teams are talking about their star quarterback and their star running back and their star receivers and, and their Super Bowl expectations, the Bears, the majority of their conversation is around their kickers. How awesome. And they practice and they practice, and they practice. They blow wind at them. They throw things at them. They put them in different stadiums, trying to, to mess them up to where they can practice. Why? Because training means you're preparing for when you need it most. In this room, you don't need your scripture memorized. You need it when someone cuts you off on the road. In this room, you don't need to hold on to the hope beyond belief. But when your marriage is falling apart, you do. But you train for that. You train in this room for prayer and for worship. Why? Because when, when evil strikes, as we talked about last week, or, or when your family is falling apart, or your kids are making horrific decisions, you need to have training of prayer and worship. Because you can't wait until it hits to start training. It has to be muscle memory. As a police officer, we would stand at the range and shoot thousands of rounds of ammunition. Because it was fun? Sure. Super fun. But so that it was muscle memory. Because when it hit the fan and your life was on the line, you had to respond. You couldn't think. It had to be habit. 
and our habits of how to respond to this world and in our relationship with Jesus Christ begins in this book. And you must be in it. And so next week, we're starting a a new series where we're going to be looking for the next five weeks at spiritual disciplines, spiritual trainings, so that you can come and bring your notebook and bring your Bible and be able to write down, how am I supposed to grow as a relationship with Jesus as a disciple? Come, and we're going to help you train so that you can respond. Let's stand together and let's pray. This idea of soul, God, is so deep. It is so powerful. It's so beyond our level of comprehension that that we have this will and we have this mind and we have this body and that thoughts and feelings and opinions flow often habitually through that and that the soul binds that together. And we so deeply want to get to the place where our soul responds to you. Where our soul says, it is well. Where our soul gets to the point where it says, not me, but you, Jesus. And we admit that there are so many things in this book, in your scriptures, we do not like. It is not easy. It's confusing. It's hard to understand, especially in the context of our culture. But we surrender and submit to you. We want to raise our students in middle school and high school to be devoted followers of you, King Jesus. We want to implement and, and, and help our younger kids to understand the scriptures that you are God of all creation, that you will never leave them nor forsake them, that they can put their faith and trust in you and to know what it means to be a follower of Jesus through base camp. That's our prayer. That we want to put our faith in action through outreach and missions. That our life groups are thriving, not only in relationship, but in depths of insight, as Philippians says. So please, please take us to that next place. Please create in us a habit of turning and longing for you beginning in worship. We love you. We praise you. We acknowledge you as king because you are worthy. You're the only entity worthy of such praise. We stand before you. before your throne. Your throne not of not of judgment, not of ridicule, even if we've taken steps backwards. We stand before your throne that's full of grace, full of mercy, full of love, full of new starts. And we say thank you.